Fox Central Thursday. It's Dan Richo Satyar Shaw with you from the Kintech studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. Canucks and Tampa Bay Lightning coming up after 4 o'clock. We'll have the pregame at 3. Join up with Sports at Pacific at 3.30. Take your questions on the television portion as well. So, um, going to try and get to a lot here. Harmon Dial's going to join us. John Garrett's going to join us. All of the things are going to happen in this one quick hour of Canuck Central. So, I want to start with Bruce Boudreaux, Sat, who seems to be making his biggest lineup decision of the year as OAL Oliver Ekman Larson is potentially a healthy scratch in Tampa Bay tonight. We won't know for certain because Bruce didn't give us a guarantee on that until warm-up goes after 3.30 today, but uh, it looks like it's happening. It looks like it, and um, I guess he left enough of an out that yes. we'll see. And if you're listening to this podcast, you already know. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll find out here in a second. But as far as Boudreau and trying different things, we've been all waiting for accountability. We talked about it. Yeah. When is he really going to hold guys accountable? What? When is that going to happen? And perhaps this is the moment he's doing so. And it reminds me of, you know, we used to joke around about Travis Green and Custer's last stand at times right, right. Before, before a decision was made. And it just kind of seems like this is a man coaching like, Every game is his last stand. And I'm not quite sure it's necessarily that dire. And we talked to Earth about this, and there has been a sentiment around the market. You've heard the insiders talk about it, that maybe just maybe there will be a coaching change here in Vancouver. I don't know if that's going to happen any day here. I'm not sure that's a sense I get. But co- the coach, coaches, mm-hmm. like that seems to be the case. Uh, so there's a lot of talk around Rick Tockett right now, um, potentially being linked with Vancouver. We heard from Elliot Friedman, and we heard from others mentioning Rick Tockett's name. It goes back to earlier in the year when Boudreaux was really on the hot seat. We sort of talked about this with Earth the other day, but as the seat continues to warm around Bruce Boudreaux, It's essentially whether or not the Canucks want to do this in season or after, because we know he's not long for the job beyond this year, the way things have gone. It's just what appetite do the Canucks really have to bring in a coach for the rest of this year, which looks like a lost season or just have somebody ride it out until the Mm -hmm. end of the season and then bring in your new guy for the start of next year. My understanding all along has kind of been that once they get to the end of the season, and this was even before, that they were going to do a proper full evaluation of everything and then consider who the long-term guy is going to be. And Boudreaux would obviously have a case to present after his first full season as a Vancouver Canucks head coach. And clearly, as you mentioned, we all know Bruce isn't going to be the guy here long-term. So I think the sense always was get to the offseason, talk to as many people as possible. A lot of openings will will be more clear when the season is over. It's just a better time in general for you to make decisions and plan for that type of move. And I would guess, and I would, I still believe that's the case for the organization. Obviously, I can't speak for them and, and say for sure. The Rick Tockett stuff is interesting. Obviously, I'm not disputing that he's a name. What I wonder, and this is not me reporting, just me wondering, whether the Tockett thing would be something for the rest of the season. That if... 
they were to make a change, that's a guy they would like to bring in for the rest of the season. And he would be amongst the people they would consider for the long-term head coach, but not necessarily commit to him being the long-term head coach for the rest of the season. Now, how willing would he be to do something like that? Or would he prefer to have more of a commitment if he's coming back and coaching? Again, I'm not reporting this. This is just me kind of wondering. Because my sense has always been, Dan, they prefer to take a long look at things and speak to as many people as possible once the season is over. So I'm not sure that's necessarily changed at this stage. It's um, Look, Rick Tockett seems to have a really great reputation around the league. Yeah. Why wouldn't he? You know, he, he's, he's a good hockey guy. He's been around the game forever. All of those things apply here. I just – I don't know if I see a, uh, a coach of his stature um, you know, coming in on that sort of a deal, right? Uh, e- even Boudreaux, you know, he wanted the extra option year and got it uh, when the Canucks uh, went to him last year. So that would be my question mark, at least, on yeah. that if it were to happen. But uh, honestly, you know what the Canucks need, Sat? They need a – before the Leafs went into their deep rebuild, Yeah. Uh, Peter Horacek <laughs> took over as the interim yeah. uh, for the remainder of that season that just absolutely went into the tank. And I'm just looking up the numbers now. Peter Horacek won nine of 42 games to close the season. And it was gross. And there was less talent on that Leafs team than there is here in Vancouver, to be fair. But it was gross. And things got ugly. But essentially, it it accomplished what the Leafs needed to accomplish that year. And that was lose as many games as possible. He came in and threw the grenade they needed. Yes. (laughs) He didn't help anything. (laughs) That's for sure. Right. And I don't know if Mike Yo is that guy. Mike Yo has a pretty decent track record from his time coaching around the league. Um, but but if you're if you're if you don't want things to change too much as far as results are concerned, yeah, then bringing in somebody who's already here, whose voice you're tiring of, despite still being a mm-hmm. new voice, would be the better way of going about it. Whereas if you bring somebody else in, like people are mentioning, like Brandon texting in, yeah, like great, let's bring in talking and get the new coach bump and pick fifteenth or something. I mean, what does that really accomplish with the Canucks being this far out of it as far as actually? making a meaningful push towards the postseason. So you're not doing that. To your point, I think if you're bringing somebody in, it's either, and hey, maybe they think Rick talks to the guy. Like maybe yeah. that's how they feel. Like this is our guy. Like we've done our due diligence. We've been looking at this. We looked at it last off season, and we're convinced Rick Talk is the guy we want. That would be more like the Daryl Sutter thing in, in Calgary. Yeah, but right? if that was the case, then would you have not made the move already? Yeah. Elliot said it's in the Canucks' hands. Mm-hmm. So if it's in the Canucks' hands, then they could have moved and given him what he looked for to bring him in. So that to me, that tells me he's not the guy, but he is a guy. And we'll see ultimately how it all goes. Yeah, it, it could very well be that the Canucks have a list of potential long-term candidates, and they don't know exactly yet which one would be best to take them forward. Now, on Oliver ekman Larson. Um, it's uh, super interesting with him as a player as he is – uh, really getting under the microscope now. But how do we view Oliver ekman Larson's season? It obviously has not been good, but just how bad has it been? So for reference, uh, I was looking through some of my notes from my previous games last year, and I remember like noting down early in the season, this guy still is smooth on the power play. He moves well. There's a lot of class to his game. And yeah, he, listen, he's not going to be worth 7.256. And we even talked about that last year at times. But he was playing well. He looked like a competent, you know, solid top four defenseman that has class to his game. He should have more in his game than anything we've seen 
so far to this point of the season. Like last year, he was fine. He was good, even, at points. And certainly, defensively, Oliver Ekman Larson was fine. He was a key player. And I think he's a, he's a really good example of how points do not add up to success and do not describe, especially for a defenseman, how they are playing. Because he's closer to the 30-plus point guy we wanted to see. Sat one of the things we talked about in the he's summer. He's on pace of, for 36 points. Right. And he's nowhere near as good a defenseman as he was last year. No, this actually kind of looks like a year he had in Arizona back in 2018-2019 when he did put up, you know, 44 points. He had 30 points the following season in 66 games. Decent production. But if you yeah. start looking at his actual game and his overall defensive impact, it wasn't very pretty. And that's kind of what you're seeing so far this year. Again, last year... He played well. He he played at a, at a top, solid top four defenseman level. And this season, he's a liability when he's out there. Yeah, and uh, it's potentially why he is out of the lineup for this game against Tampa Bay. Let's bring in our next guest. It is Harmon Dial of the Athletic, covering the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, thanks for this, Harm. Uh, so we're we're looking at Oliver Ekman Larson from your perspective. Just how poor has this season been for OEL? you guys were just kind of mentioning when he initially came over last season he had a really strong impact I mean forget um, I've always been in the category that when it comes to evaluating defensemen I'm sure you want the the more points you can you can get the better but I think we all had a recognition that okay even though Ekman Larson's offensive production wasn't that high last season he was still able to make a tremendous impact on Vancouver's second pair because of um, the lockdown defense that, that he was able to play one-on-one defensively off the rush, um, the way that he was able to use his angles and playing very difficult minutes against the opposition's best players uh, alongside Tyler Myers and essentially being break-even. It, um, he, was a, he was a crucial cog for them last season, and I think um, it did help uh, the blue line sort of take a step, uh, take a step forward in this season. You know, it was interesting because part of me wondered, okay, we've never really seen Ekman Larson um, have the kind of defensive impact that he made last season. Like last year was a kind of outlier in terms of how well he sort of played in his own end and the defensive results that he managed. So on the one hand, you were kind of wondering, okay, is this something that he can keep up long term? Um, but then on the other hand, the counter argument could kind of be that players often mature as they, as they become older and that when they maybe lose the explosiveness or some of their dynamic qualities, they can find ways to reinvent themselves and find a new identity. And that was kind of the question going into this season, at least from my perspective, was, okay, has OEL kind of found this new identity as a defensive defenseman, someone who can uh, can shut down top players and, and maybe doesn't put up a ton of offense? Or are we going to look back at last season as an outlier? And, and are we going to then see the sort of player who – in Arizona did have lots of highs and lows defensively, but without the offensive production, which then significantly undercuts his overall value. And unfortunately it has been a case where we haven't, we've, we've seen really tough um, defensive results. Um, we're seeing him pinch in, in the wrong situations and be caught out of position. Um, him and Myers, when they played together have been um, kind of torched off the rush. And I'm surprised a little bit in the first place that, uh, the boots went away from like when when you think about okay you're kind of stuck with that contract you're going to have to figure out a way to maximize his value um i think we've clearly seen that when oel's been with bear that the results have been better because bear has the ability to um retrieve defensive zone pucks dump-ins 
and get the puck moving really quickly, which I think is one of the biggest liabilities I see in OEL's game right now is when the opposition's dumping the puck in, um, he just can't turn, win the loose puck race, and then help exit the other way. So I think, you know, obviously he's probably going to be a scratch tonight, and, and we'll see um, how he kind of responds. But when he does eventually draw in, I think he needs to be with uh, a mobile partner like Bear as opposed to um, over the past few games we saw Hughes and Bear together. And um, with Myers also not being the, the quickest on his feet, um, the most agile, I think it, it put an extra burden in the, and an extra stress on OEL. Well, and, you know, there's a big question to me about just how he's going to age based on what we've seen this season. And I think those questions were always there when the trade was made, right? But we saw it last year, and that kind of quelled some of the concerns with how he performed. But with how he's looked this season, how concerning is the trend we might see here beyond this year? And we've seen it plenty of circumstances, uh, Harm, where older defensemen or guys in their 30s have a resurgence. We're seeing that with Eric Carlson, of course, and other players. But are the indicators really pointing down beyond the season in a big way based on what we're seeing? Absolutely. It's it's a massive concern. Right now, I'd be worried about it being one of the worst contracts in the league uh, for, um, for, for the next few years because I, I think when the trade was initially made, I think there was also an argument to be made that, okay, well, it isn't just that let me rewind a little bit. So OEL's, I think, last couple seasons in Arizona, he was clearly on a downward trend. Like his game, his two-way results were, were really declining. And, and I think part of the optimism, and I think part of the reason sometimes when you do see defensemen find their vintage form again is, okay, this idea of a fresh start, um, playing on a better team with new teammates in a bigger market with more motivation, and, and sometimes a fresh start in a new environment is what, um, uh, a player needs and I think that obviously helped him last year but now that we're seeing him struggle in Vancouver now too it's like okay it's a continuation of the downward trend we saw in Arizona and it kind of goes to show that a, a new environment uh, a fresh start playing in a new city all those things that you thought could have helped him aren't going to necessarily help him going forward um, which is a massive concern and it isn't just with the conversation around OEL as it pertains to the impact that he's made, it hasn't just been a concern at five on five, but um, when you consider the importance of him sort of playing the veteran defender role, making a ton of money, he also has to make an impact on the penalty kill. I think that's an area where when you look at the impact that Epler and Tana have had, um, they've been sorely missing that where we talk a lot about how the penalty kill um, this season has been a massive struggle for the first half of last season. It was, uh, it was a huge struggle as well. And I think, um, OEL's sort of lack of natural defensive instincts um, along with the other defensemen on this team is a big part of why they've been so permissive in that area too. So it isn't just a case of the even strength struggles, but he's been, unable, he's been I think, one of the main reasons the penalty kill has struggled so much too. Um, so with all that information kind of um, in light, and, and the biggest thing to me for me is the foot speed now, um, I, I think he's... Uh, I'd be very, very concerned about how that contract is going to age. And, and like I said, I think it's going to be one of the worst contracts in the league for the next few years. Uh, Harmon Dial, of our, uh, our guest here on uh, on Canuck Central. I know, um, you know OEL, obviously, with the spotlight today, uh, but you know his partner, Tyler Myers, has had a tough go about it this year as well. And you know, we I know you wrote about it recently, but 
as much as as Myers takes some heat, he was he was doing all right last year. He and OELs were a part of the the Canucks shutdown pairs we've talked about, but even he is having a lot of trouble this season, isn't he? Yeah, it's a it's a very similar story as as OEL where he was really strong for this uh, for this team last season. And the other thing with Myers, kind kind of similar to OEL, is is both guys. And obviously, at that point, they they weren't playing together; they were on different teams. But in, in Myers' case in Vancouver, when you look back at that 2021 North Division All Canadian Division year, um, that was when we first started to see the erratic uh, tendencies in, in Myers' game start to uh, start to really unfold. Because when he first came to Vancouver, his first year in the 1920 campaign when the Canucks made the playoffs, um, he was solid. But the 2021 campaign was that first sign of oh boy. He's really regressing, and when you, when you would look at a lot of the scoring chance against, the expected goals against data, um, it was one of the worst in the league, and he was really struggling to drive positive two-way results. A uh, bit of a resurgence, obviously had a strong resurgence last season, and now it's the same sort of thing as, uh, as OEL, where you're kind of seeing him um, back on that downward trajectory. And with, with Myers, um, I, I think it's it's been the fact that we're seeing a lot of the um, – Mistakes. I was really impressed at how he seemed to last season quiet those down. Uh, quiet those down in terms of positionally, he mm-hmm. um, was much better about picking his spots for when to um, when to sort of press up aggressively in the offensive zone to help keep keep a puck in the offensive zone. Um, uh, and that decision making, the decision making, a lot of times with uh, the puck in the defensive zone. And I think as a result, he's been out of position a lot. Is is the biggest issue. Um, that I that I'm sort of seeing, and he's always been. I think we we've always known that he isn't necessarily, despite his size and despite his reach. I don't think he's he's been the best defender off the rush, but it's those other areas where he's just out of position mm-hmm. more often than a lot more often than he was last season, and that's an, that's a problem because he doesn't have the natural high end defensive IQ to where we'll see a lot of goals against, for example, where Myers. Um, is sort of around the right vicinity, um, but he's not able to immediately pick up the most, pick up or identify the most uh, dangerous offensive threat. Like you think about that uh, that goal that Winnipeg had um, uh, a couple a uh, couple games ago, where where they got in behind Myers and 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 they couldn't really the Jets couldn't really get a shot uh, a shot off immediately, but Morgan Barron was kind of streaking up right by the blue paint. Myers had recovered, but he wasn't able to pick up uh, Barron. So um, that compounds where it's like not only is he not the best at picking up his assignments sometimes when he is positioned, but then that but, but then that problem is compounded because he's also then putting himself out of position uh, in other situations without the puck. Well, I think what's happening a lot, and this this is this goes back to the whole structure discussion around this team. There's so many gaps in space when the Canucks are defending, and oftentimes you see players kind of caught in no man's land. And the big issue here for guys like OEL and Myers, and to your point, they don't have great recovery. So if you're if you're if they're kind of getting out of position because they're trying to look at a couple of different things. They're not going to be able to recover fast and go back the other way. I think a guy that's actually good at recovering, they're two guys, Hughes and Dermott, because they move well. Same thing with Ethan Bear. So that kind of shows you how the movement is necessary. But at the same time, the structure is a complete mess around them. And that kind of leads us into everything being talked about around the head coach and how this team can play. And Rick Tockett's name's been thrown out there. From what we've seen from Rick Tockett, in terms of his coaching in the NHL, and we mentioned, obviously, the relationship with Oliver Ekman Larson as well. What type of coach do you think he is, and could he be right for this group potentially? 
Yeah, he's um, he's definitely more defensively oriented. Um, when you think back to the Arizona teams that he uh, that he coached towards the end there, um, there were teams that didn't have a lot of – it was almost kind of the opposite of, of the Canucks, which is why I'm a bit unsure about that potential fit where mm-hmm. the Coyotes wouldn't have a lot of elite offensive talent. But what they did have is a lot of players who were – committed to all right if we're if we don't have a talent then at least we're going to beat teams based off our structure um, by being more than the sum of our parts by being committed to blocking shots Um, and it was a pretty restrictive um, system and environment like OEL at that point um, during some of his uh, later seasons I think he even felt that um, he, he wasn't he didn't have freedom to do as much as he wanted offensively um, and I think from the Canucks' perspective, I think Rick, Rick Tockett can do a lot of positive things in terms of instilling a structure and, and helping improve uh, a club's defensive, uh, defensive results. But the question I kind of have is, at what cost it, could that potentially um, have, um, have offensively in terms of do you end up taking a ton of your ability to score goals away? And the second, the second part of that is, do you have the right personnel here to actually execute that type of tight-checking um, system? Would you be playing to the team's weaknesses rather than the strengths? And I think for a fit like that to work, you'd really have to rethink the way the roster is built. Because right now, we've talked a lot about the, um, the issues on defense, but even among the forward group, yeah, the Canucks have a lot of dynamic, high-end, explosive skill, um, a lot of exciting players, but... Um, when you look at even the wings or, or, or the centers, the Canucks don't have a lot of high-end two-way drivers. They don't have a lot of players who um, are are great at, for example, winning board battles. Are, are great at picking up uh, assignments in the defensive zone. Um, they have uh, they have players that aren't committed enough in that area. And I think the question to sort of ask uh, ask would be, how drastically would you have to overhaul the roster to fit and, and play that sort of tighter um, defensive? Spur? Um, that a coach like Rick Tockett could potentially bring in. Well, it, it kind of reminds me of like the 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 towards the end of Travis Green's tenure, where they they really tried to lock it down and play defense. Um, and you know they did have some better defensive results before Green was uh, was let go, but they couldn't score for the life of them, right? And and that became their biggest issue uh, for that half of the season before Boudreaux came in there but I do wonder you know I look at Winnipeg and and how they've been able to drastically change their defensive results this year with the new head coach and in, in Rick Bonus um and still maintain some of their you know their, their players maybe aren't scoring at maybe as high of a level as they did before but they're still scoring pretty well um I, you know I wonder if that's an example that the Canucks could look at and say yeah that's kind of what we're talking about with bringing more structure to this team yeah, I, it's funny because after the Winnipeg game, that's I was thinking from management's perspective, from uh, you know if you're Jim Rutherford or Patrick Alvin watching um, that kind of game and the steps that Winnipeg kind of took from last season to this season, that's probably exactly what they're sort of um, thinking about when you hear Rutherford, for example, critiquing the structure of this team. Um, a club like uh, Winnipeg is is a great example because. I think similarly, they had um, some forwards who, uh, I mean, all, actually, that's, it's a great parallel because they were kind of built similar to the, the Canucks where they have a lot of um, high offensive skill with Connor, Shifley, Dubois, Wheeler, but they weren't necessarily great defensively. Uh, the back end wasn't, um, wasn't the best. 
and and you also kind of had an elite goaltender and I think um, they've adopted a style where they are a lot more connected between the forwards and the defensemen where the forwards are a lot more committed to reloading and, and back checking um, and I, I think under Maurice the issue was and I think this would be the biggest question you'd, ha- you'd have to ask yourself if you're a Canucks fan looking at Winnipeg is when Winnipeg came in town, I think um, when when I sort of had a conversation with a couple of players on that team about, okay, like what difference have you noticed from last year? I think one of the complaints about the way they played under Maurice was that the defensemen, their only job was to defend and the, and the forwards, their only job was to score. Like it was so stratified and the modern NHL wasn't, like that uh, isn't like that at all. And when you look at Maurice's lack of success in Florida and how he's taken a President's Trophy team and they're they're well below the playoff bar right now, I think the only concern would sort of be wondering, okay, yes, Bonus came in and he's been able to do wonders with that Jets roster, but how much of that is Paul Maurice just potentially being one of the worst active coaches in the NHL? And whereas Bruce Boudreaux, he obviously plays a run-and-gun style. Um, they play a much up-tempo, uh, a very up-tempo game, and there absolutely is a lot of room for improvement in the defensive structure. But is his baseline, is what the Canucks starting with from a, a coaching perspective, um, and in terms of what the coach is extracting from the roster, are they at a much higher baseline than what the Jets were at under Maurice? Um, where it felt like, I think with, when Bonus came in, it felt like he was able to clean up on a lot of really low-hanging fruit. And I think that would be the question to ask is, how much low-hanging fruit is there to pick up and clean up with this, uh, with this Canucks roster? Harm, always appreciate the time. Thanks for this. Thanks, guys. Uh, there is Harmon Dial of The Athletic joining us here on Canucks Central. Coming up, Cheech, John Garrett on the show. You're listening to SportsNet 650.